This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kyabram. You can visit us at www.lwkyabram.com. So I've entitled my message this morning, Let's Pray. And it's one of those statements that we make. And, you know, I was thinking about it. You know, it's often in the ceremonies we actually use that statement where it's like, you know, um, when a wedding happens, you know, there's a point in the service where I'll say, let's pray. Or it might be a funeral. There'll be a point in that funeral where I'll say, let's pray. And so last night at Saturday Night Live, we started to unwrap a little bit about what prayer is. And if you missed last night's Saturday Night Live, I want to encourage you to actually catch up online uh, with, with that uh, message or order a CD if you don't have access to online. And you can listen to that message about prayer because there were some things laid out last night that I think are important when it comes to prayer. Just simple things like prayer is not a meeting we have. And we looked at the fact last night that prayer could actually be broken down to our whole relationship because our whole relationship or prayer could be broken down to being more about a relationship with God rather than an event with God because there's a difference between a relationship and a difference between an event. You know, um, some couples have a habit in their life where they have a date night and if we're not careful, prayer can be considered the date night of our Christianity where it's like, you know, we just gather for that time and we're focused and, you know, it's like we, we talk and all that sort of stuff at that particular time. No, it's about relationship more than it is about an event. So let's go to Colossians chapter 4. The thing I love about prayer is there's so many different aspects about it. And over the course of my Christianity, I've heard multiple messages about prayer. I've heard multiple messages about how we should pray and what we should pray for and all those sorts of things. And if we're not careful, we can actually get lured into the fact that it's an event rather than a relationship. Because if we're to pray continually or if we're to pray always, then it can't be an event. Because if we're meant to be continually in prayer, then that means it's more about relationship than it is about a particular event. Now, the event is important. The event stuff is important. But what I like to do in my life is not necessarily categorize that as my prayer life, but actually categorize it as my um, self-discipline life where it's like it's my self-study, it's, it's like that time where it's like I'm putting extra time aside to invest into my life and my relationship with God, just as we do that in the natural in our relationships. As parents, we take particular time out to invest special time with our kids. You know, there's other times where we're all sitting in the lounge room and everyone's on devices and, you know, it's like even though we're in the same room and even though we're still in relationship, it's not as intense as those times when we actually set time aside and say, hey, we need to chat. We need to talk. So I think both is important. So Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 says this, devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And last night at Saturday Night Live, we looked at the fact that we need to devote ourselves to prayer. 
We need to be an alert mind. We need to understand what's happening around us so that we're able to pray and able to pray in a way where we line up with the heart of God for the situation. Because when I pray, I don't want to just pray my own desires. I actually want to pray the desires of the Father for that situation. And so there's times when it's like, when I'm praying, it's like, well, God, what do you want me to pray into this situation? What do you want me to declare into this situation? Because as we pray with an alert mind and an alert heart, what happens is we actually line up with what God would want for that situation. It says to pray with a thankful heart. I love being around thankful people. When I go to the football, good to see Andrea wearing Essendon colours this morning. It was so good. <laughs> it was so, I saw it and I thought, revival has come. So when I go to the footy and if I go with a particular person and their team is losing and they become the sulking sook and want to leave early, I, I don't want to ever go to the football with that person again. I don't want to ever go to the football with that person again. Why? Because we need to be gracious in victory just as we need to be gracious in defeat. And so if we can't live life with a thankful heart, if we can't get to the point where it's like, you know what, my team got absolutely troused. You know, tr you know it's like they, they got trashed. It was like... 10 goals to no goals, but I'm thankful that I'm still breathing and I'm thankful that I got to still experience and I'm thankful that I still got to be and I'm thankful for the person that's stirring the living heebie-jeebies out of me in this moment because that's also about relationship. See, in life, we need to be thankful in all situations. And so when it comes to prayer, a thankful heart goes a long way. So we looked last night that we need to understand the place from which we pray from. We need to understand the position that we have in life. And I actually want to spend a little bit more time this morning just unwrapping that, the fact that when we pray, we actually pray from the position of the head and not the tail. So our prayer life and our relationship with our loving Saviour is about the fact that we are positioned to be the head and not the tail. So often our prayers come from tail living rather than head living. See, when we understand the authority, oh, come on, church, when we understand the authority that Jesus Christ has given us, it changes the way we speak. It changes the way we look. It changes the things that we may say. Because when we understand that all authority has been given to us as believers, then you know what? The words that come out of your mouth in those declarations of prayer, when they line up with the heart of the Father, there is all heaven's authority behind those prayers. You know, we get lulled into this because what the world has done is the world lulls us into the fact that, you know what, we just need to sit, be quiet. The other person or the other thing has the control over us. No, we are the head and not the tail. And if we're the head and not the tail, then we need to declare what the head, Jesus Christ, would say about every situation in our life and not what the tail, the devil, well, actually, in fact, he's not even the tail, he's under the tail because the Bible says he's under our feet. I just wonder, like, I'm talking to myself here, not you, so don't get offended by this, but, but I wonder why we listen to the one who's under our feet rather than the one that's above our head when it comes to the important issues in life. Because the devil will come to you and he'll whisper, oh, you're no good. And we listen to that and we put more credit on that and it drives us to be the tail and not the head when it comes to life. And then what happens in life is when we come to position ourselves in prayer, we come as, oh, woe is me. I don't even know whether God will even bother to hear me this morning. 
See, that's tail thinking. We need to think about where the head and not the tail. So we need to understand the place from which we pray. I hope that even out of what I'm saying right now, you will get a revelation of how your relationship works with the God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Because your relationship is the key. See, we have been speaking this year about growth and really the theme could have been maturity, but it's about growth. That's what I've called it, growth, because that's the word that God gave me. And actual fact, when he even gave me the, the grow so theme for the first part of this year, I didn't really understand that it was going to morph so much into the fact that as Christians, we need to grow in maturity so that we're able to sow and the seeds that are sown out of the maturity of our life will actually produce mature fruit once it once it matures. And so we need to understand this, that our prayer life is actually a sign or our relationship, I'll say it that way, our relationship is actually a sign of our maturity when it comes to Christ. Because Paul says in his letters that I wish I could speak to you as mature people rather than infants where we have to keep going over the, the, the elementary truths of the word. Things like repentance Things like our relationship and even I've been challenged even this week, the fact that I'm preaching this this morning and talking about prayer and relationship, maybe it's a little bit milky because we all should be there. But I want to encourage you that we need to hear this message and we need to heed this message because so often in Christianity, we're praying our prayers from being the tail and not the head. And again, talking to myself this morning, because I want to tell you when I preach, I preach to myself first. It's quite challenging being a preacher because the Bible says that we are judged doubly on our words, not, not just singly. So you have the luxury of come to church and if you don't agree with what I say and you don't like what I say, you can go home and you can switch off. I can't do that. I'm going to be judged doubly on this one day, which is exciting, is it not? I think it is. I think it is exciting. So let's go to John chapter 15 because we're going to talk about our relationship and where we stand in the kingdom. I hope you get a revelation of your position in the kingdom this morning. A lot of us know it, we just don't live it. A lot of us know it, we just don't relate to life in it. I go through stages where I know it and I live it and then something will happen and I have to fight the feelings of slipping back into being the tail and not the head. We all struggle with it. So John chapter 15 and we're going to read from verse 9 onwards. It says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. This is Jesus talking to us. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends when you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves. Look at verse 15 because this is the key. I no longer call you slaves because a master does not confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment, love each other. See, verse 15 is such a powerful verse. 
And if we can just get a revelation of our position in the kingdom, even according to verse 15, it will change not only our confession, but it'll change the way we pray. It will change the way we relate to God. Verse 15, I no longer call you slaves. <laughs> and yet in Christianity, and it's, it's actually a good thought, but it's a thought that if we're not careful and if we don't keep it in balance, then what happens is it gets out of balance and it causes us not to relate as children of God, but as slaves. And the thought is this, is that we need to be servants in the kingdom. Because we've all heard that, don't we? You know, we've all heard the fact how we need to serve the kingdom and we need to serve each other. In actual fact, one of the spiritual gifts is gifts of service or spiritual acts of service. And so God understands the fact that service is important, but he doesn't want us to be servants. See, there's a difference between someone who serves the kingdom as a servant or a slave and someone who serves the kingdom as the king or um, prince. Or princess. So there's this moment in life where when we get the revelation, well, you know what? I serve the kingdom with all my heart, but I don't do it as a slave. I actually do it as a son. If you're a lady in this place, then when you serve the kingdom, you serve the kingdom as a princess rather than as a slave or just a servant. And we understand the difference between being a slave and being a servant. Do we not? Yes, we do. Culture, our Western culture, is birthed upon the servant system. Our great, great, if you come from England especially, you know, it's possible that years and years and years and years and years ago, your great, 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 great granddaddy was either a servant or he was a master. It's built into our culture. Our work situation is built into the culture of servants and masters. And sometimes I have business owners say to me, you need to teach the church how to serve business better. No, I don't. I need to teach the church how to love Jesus more. Because as that part of our life is right, what happens is we serve our workplace as if we're serving Christ. Because that's what the Bible says. Kingdom is this. Serve your workplace as if you're serving Christ. And put the same energy in, put the same time in as if you're doing that. Treat your boss the way you would treat Jesus. And you might say to me, but my boss is not Jesus. Well, that's irrelevant. He doesn't say that. He actually says this. He says to serve your boss as if you're serving me. See, when our heart's right, the other stuff works out along the way. We could even say it this way. Seek the Lord God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Kingdom principle. We could say this, you know, have your priorities right. Seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness and everything else will fall into place. It's exactly what I'm saying here. When our heart is right and when our relationship is right with God, then the other stuff in life starts to come in line. Because there will be that moment where you will go to the station recovered when the start of school happens and think, I need a box of pens for my kids, and you will reach your hand into it and the Holy Spirit will go, what are you doing? And if we're honest, we will say, I'm stealing from my boss. I'm going to steal this so that I don't have to pay for it because it's my right. It's my right. I do this and I do that. No, it's not your right. One of my things that have followed me all my life in working in offices, for some reason, I always got put in charge of the stationery cupboard. 
I don't know, it just happened. Like everywhere I went, I was in charge of the station. And I don't know whether it was because the, the bosses knew they could trust me that I wouldn't steal. Um, and actually, in fact, one of the bosses said that to me once. They said, you know what, I don't have to even worry about this area because I know that your integrity in your life is right. And, you know, that's built over time. But one of the things I always noticed was around the time that schools went back, I would have to lock the stationery cupboard because stationery would just walk out the door because it's easier for us to get the boss to pay for it than us to pay for it. It's called stealing. And when our heart is right, though, it's like, well, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do that, even though it's more convenient for me, even though it's cheaper for me. I understand that I'm dishonoring my boss, and therefore I'm dishonoring God in that act. So Jesus says this, he no longer calls us slaves. God gave me a picture this week, and it was the, this picture was this is that in life, sometimes we view ourselves as the servant of the house. But if we're not careful, we can drop a step below that and see ourselves as the slave of the house, where we have no choice and we have no option, but we are caught in this situation where we have been captured into serving the kingdom against our will. It's not like that. We have the choice. See, he no longer calls us slaves. Why doesn't he call us a slave? Because he allows us to know the Father's business. He allows us to know what's on the Father's heart. He allows us to know. He gives us an insight into the big picture. In actual fact, I believe he even gives us an insight into planning our future with him. So our position has changed because of what God has done for us. The Bible says this, that once we're a slave to sin... But because of the cross and because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, when we accept him as Lord and Saviour of our life and when, he, when, when we do what John talks about, because John says this, if you love me, you will do what I command. That's the trigger. So when we're doing what God commands, we're actually proving our love to ourselves more than anything. And then that, what happens is then we're able to understand what happens in the kingdom. We're able to understand. He lays it out for us. He shares us the Father's business so that we're able to and so we can actually pray from a position and our relationship is from a position where we're sons and daughters rather than the slave. Let's go to James chapter 5. So let's talk about prayer. We understand that we pray from the position of the head and not the tail. Then our prayers are powerful. James chapter 5 verse 15 says, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sin, you will be forgiven. Confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. In earnest, uh, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I like the way it says it in the New Living Translation where it says this, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. See, when our heart is right, because this is the key, when our heart is right, because what is righteous? Righteous is not an act we do. Righteous is not a garment we put on. Righteous, being righteous is not behavioural. No, righteousness comes from the heart. And when our heart is right with God... When our heart is right with Jesus, then the fruit of our life actually becomes righteous fruit rather than unrighteous fruit. 
And so when our heart is right with him, our prayers become earnest. Now, I think there's a key in there in James that we sort of skip over, and that's this confess your sins. Why is it that we don't want others to know about our sins? It's a rhetorical question. You're not meant to answer it, but you're meant to think about it. I actually think the reason that we don't want others to think about, uh, to know about our sin and the habits in our life that don't please God and actually don't please us either is this, is because what it does is it brings shame to our life. If I tell you the sin of my life, your view of me might change. Your view of me, you know, you might look at me different. You might judge me. You might do this or you might do that. Well, James is actually saying it's good to confess our sins to each other because then we're able to pray for each other. And what happens is it means, and I actually think the reason, the, basically the main reason we don't like talking about our sins and our personal struggles is this thing called pride. We let pride get in the way of our breakthrough. Now, I don't think we should be confessing our sin to everyone. I think that's a bit silly. Don't be jumping on Facebook and confessing your sins on Facebook. doesn't say to do that. That's just silly. But we need to find people we can trust and we need to find people who are like-minded and we need to find people who are able to sit down with us and to be able to pray and to be able to seek God for that situation as well. And then what happens is as we open up our heart and as we, allow, as we don't allow pride to be the trigger that stops us coming, what happens is it opens our heart and we're able to receive the healing and the breakthrough that we need. Because it goes on to say this, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has, has great power and produces wonderful results. See, we need to understand when we pray from the head and not the tail, it's powerful. It's powerful. We can bring, oh, church, we can bring the supernatural into the natural when we pray and we're righteous. The heavens will change. Circumstance will change. Now, you might say to me, but Pastor Trey, I've been praying. I've been praying for this for years and years and years, and I haven't seen breakthrough. The first thing I would say is ask the Father what you are to pray into that situation, because maybe you're praying the wrong thing. Maybe you're praying something that you're not meant to be praying. Maybe you're desiring something that you're not meant to have. And so, you know, first of all, we've got to line up with the will of the Father. Had an experience once where I was praying for a lady who had um, a crook back. Her, her back was, it was really messed up. And for years, we'd prayed for her and we saw no breakthrough. I preached a message one day about forgiveness and she came out the front and she said this. She says, I have awful unforgiveness towards my mum. And I said, well, let's deal with that. And as she confessed that sin of unforgiveness, because the Bible says if we don't forgive others, God can't forgive us or he won't forgive us. And, and so as she confessed that sin and as she asked for forgiveness and as she made the choice that she was going to forgive her mum, she got slain in the spirit and as soon as she hit the floor, I physically heard her back go crack, 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 pop. And she gets up and she goes, my back, it's healed. We hadn't even asked for healing. We'd ask for forgiveness, but because she opened her heart and because she acknowledged that there was a sin in her life and there was a resistance there, what happened was she actually received that thing that she'd been asking for without even asking. See, the prayer of a righteous person avails much. Let's go to Matthew chapter 21. So prayer is powerful, but it's also needed. Because Jesus makes a statement here in Matthew chapter 21 about the fact that his house will be a house of prayer. I think that this scripture is a little bit misunderstood some days, and I'm going to 
share this morning how I actually read it and how I actually see it. Because I think we miss it sometimes because we, we, we look at the fact that Jesus, you know, sat down, made the whip and flipped tables and we get all excited about that because that's the action part of the movie. You know, that's a bit where it's like, you go, Jesus. You teach them money sellers in the temple. You teach them a lesson and that's what we focus on. It says this, verse 12, Matthew 21. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. That's a dramatic scene. Can you imagine if someone walks in here this morning and starts overturning things? I reckon our attention is got. Can you imagine, Pastor Jim, you're about to serve someone's coffee and the table gets flipped? It's like everyone goes, ooh, something's happening. Verse 13, he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now, what is the temple of God? Not a trick question. We are. So his temple is to be a house of prayer. Can I encourage you? Let's New Testament this. Let's bring this into post-cross. Let's bring this into our lives. My temple, my life, needs to be a house of prayer. And if my temple is not a house of prayer, then it's someone else's temple. Because he actually says this, my house will be known as a house of prayer. My temple, the Father's, some versions say, the Father's house will be a house of prayer. And so we need to understand as the temples of the Holy Spirit, as God's living temples, as his living and breathing temples, we have to be temples of prayer. He says, but we've turned it into Den of thieves. Now, this is where I think it gets misunderstood because some people say, well, you can't buy and sell things in church. I actually think you can. You just have to do it with honest scales because one of the things that God hates is dishonest scales. Talks about that in Proverbs. Just finished reading Proverbs and it's a great book. And one of the Proverbs in there is that one of the things that the Lord detests is dishonest scales. I hate it. I filled up my uh, four-wheel drive once And I know that my four-wheel drive is a 75-litre tank and I put 80 litres in it. And I went, hang on, either I have a leak in my tank or your scales are dishonest. Either my tank drained out because it wasn't completely empty when I started pumping that diesel in, so either your scales are wrong or my car has a bigger tank than I thought. So I actually rang the company and I said, I think your scales are out. I think it's out and they go, no, we get them checked on a regular basis. And that was the end of the story. But I'm still sure today that 80 litres does not fit into a 75 litre tank. That's just the way I think it works. See, God doesn't like dishonest scales. And what was happening in this moment was people were coming to the temple and if you didn't have an animal to sacrifice, then what you would do is it was common practice that you would go to the temple and you would purchase an animal so that you could sacrifice in what was required according to the law. And what the money changers and that were doing at the time was they were selling animals that weren't fit for sacrifice. They were selling the seconds of the animals because the Bible talks about the fact that the, the sacrifice has to be pure and has to be perfect. And so they were selling animals that weren't actually um, able to be sacrificed, but they were running a business off this and they were charging more than they should have been charging. And so the poor person that would come and could only afford a dove would get a dove with a broken wing maybe or an eye missing and they would have to pay more than what they would have if the dove was good in other places. And I think that's why Jesus overturned 
the money tables changes because they were being dishonest and they were ripping people off. Because I actually think that the next day they would have been back there set up again, but they would have been fair and not dishonest. And so Jesus makes this statement about the fact that his house needs to be a house of prayer. See, as the heads, as the heads of our community, you know, as the heads, as the leaders of our community, because you're all leaders in our community, we need to understand that we're the head and not the tail. And so therefore, we have to be places of prayer. Why? Because if we're not praying, no one else will be. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to finish here this morning. Did you grab your booklet on the way in? Excellent. Because we're going to look at the back of your booklet in a moment. So if you don't have one, you could do the booklet run. Go and get one. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 onwards, it says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Any hypocrites? Give me a wave if you're a hypocrite. That's amazing. Because some people tell me the church is full of hypocrites. That's what some people say. The church is full of hypocrites. Well, we don't have too many here this morning. It's really just our choice whether we want to be hypocrites or not because a hypocrite is a person that says one thing but does another. Pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth that all the reward they, that's, sorry, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. When your father sees um, then, then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, do not babble on and on as the Gentiles do. Any Gentiles here today? If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. But anyway, just don't keep babbling on as the preacher continues to babble. They think that they, their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our, our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Verse 14, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you, if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So this prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray was a response to the disciples seeing something in Jesus' life and it catching their attention. He saw, they saw his prayer life. They saw his relationship with his father. And so they actually said this, can you teach us how to do that? And so what he did was he taught us this prayer. Now, this prayer is a written prayer. Some people don't like written prayers, but this is a prayer that Jesus wrote down for us to pray. But I think there's principles in there about how we should pray. And on the back of your list, there's the word pray. And it's broken down into four sections. So when you're praying through this 14 days um, could change your world, I want to encourage you to have the word prayer in your mind as you do it. We start with praise. We give God praise and adoration. That needs to be part of our devotional prayer. We'll call it devotional prayer because I think that's a good way to describe it rather than our relationship ongoing with God. So when we praise God, we actually give him praise and adoration for the things he does. In the prayer, it's like, hallowed be your name. 
Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge his position. We acknowledge his lordship. We acknowledge the fact that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, that he has authority over us. And then we acknowledge the fact that he's holy. And so we're able to give praise and um, uh, recognition to God for who he is. That adoration comes from our heart to him. And I want to let you in on a secret. The more you understand who he is, the more that adoration comes. The more you understand who God is, the easier your praise is. R stands for uh, recognize his gifts. Acknowledge the gifts and give thanks to God for his gifts. Now, I'm not just talking about spiritual gifts here. You can do that if you like. But we are given multiple gifts during the day by God our Father. We are given multiple gifts during the, during the year by our Heavenly Father. He is a Father who gives us good gifts. Think of the grandparents here sitting down here in the front row on this side. You know, a precious gift given. You know, precious gift given. You know, we need to thank God for those gifts. We need to thank God for those times when even when the circumstance doesn't look good, that he's still a good God and he fills us with good gifts. Then we need to ask for forgiveness. I get challenged every time I read, you know, this um, Matthew chapter 6 passage because, you know, God actually says this to us. If we're not willing to forgive others, then he won't forgive us. What he actually says is, by the measure you're able to offer your forgiveness to others will be the measure that your forgiveness is dealt out. It's the same with judging. You know, people say, don't judge. The Bible doesn't say, don't judge. The Bible says this, that you will be judged by the measure you judge others. So feel free to judge me. Just understand that you will be judged by that same measure. And sometimes it's like I've seen it work out, particularly in, you know, when I was running youth groups, it'd be like they'd be saying, saying oh, you know, this person, wah, 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 wah. and then they'd say, well, don't judge me. Hang on. Just spent the last half an hour judging everyone else. And so we need to understand that we need to not only ask for forgiveness, but we need to offer that forgiveness as well. And then why, and this is, I love this about God. He says he's interested in our requests. He wants us to bring our requests. Why? Because he wants us to bring the fact that we have a daily need for provision in our life. And so as you take this book and as you join with us over the next 14 days and maybe it might just roll on so it's something that you continue to do because I I, I think it's a a good way to um, break down our, our devotional prayer and to help us in that. I pray that your world will notice a difference around you that your family will notice a difference, not only in you, but it'll start to flow out um, from you into others as well. Because if you want to change your world, you need to change yourself first, because it starts. You know, there's a story years ago about one of the revivalists was asked the question, you know, and, and I hear this thrown a lot around in churches where it's like, we need revival. And so one of the great revivalists was asked, well, how do we get revival? And he said this, he said, draw a circle in the ground. Stand in the middle of it and pray this prayer. God, let revival start in this circle because that's where it spreads. It happens that way, revival in our heart first and then we're able to sow good seed into other people's lives. Let's all stand up this morning because you've preached me hoarse. Oh, we want to thank you because, Lord, you're a God who we can trust because you are a good God. Lord, you are love. You don't just love, you are love. You are good. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabram. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabram.com.